Welcome to Cube Cuddle, a podcast about Kubernetes and the people who build and use it. I'm your host, Rich Burroughs. Today, I'm speaking with Divya Mohan. Divya is a technical writer at SUSE. Welcome. So glad that we got this chance to catch up, Rich. Thank you so much for welcoming me on. I'm really happy to have you here. You know, I've been um, kind of aware of you for a little while now through Twitter, and then we met at KubeCon Valencia really briefly. Yeah, and I've just been um, really impressed by the things you're doing for the community. So I'm really happy to have you on to talk about it all. Thank you. You're very kind. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I was looking at your LinkedIn and I saw that you started off originally as like a systems engineer and then a systems administrator. And that was kind of my background as well. I started off like as a system administrator um, a lot longer ago than you did. But but I feel like that's a really good, solid background for somebody to kind of get into this cloud native world and especially to deal with Kubernetes in terms of like the kinds of things that you learn and, and have to do in those roles. Absolutely. I think um, uh, my background is what set me up for success in the cloud native world. And I genuinely attribute a lot of my uh, knowledge to uh, what I laid as, I mean, it was not I who laid the foundation, but my, uh, you know, job that laid the foundation um, of the various basics, whether it be networking, whether it be uh, Linux fundamentals, whether it be um, even uh, stuff like, um, you know, the common commands that we use in Linux, which typically a lot of folks who get started do do not, you know, seem to be aware of. I mean, I'm not, you know, throwing shade at anyone here, but it typically takes a longer curve for developers to get onboarded to Kubernetes because they're trying to work on code. And I'm not, again, no no throwing shade at anyone here, but uh, it typically takes a longer onboarding curve for them. Uh, so I, I'm really glad I started out with systems because it really helped me... Uh, grasp things better. So it was easy for me to sort of um, liken Kubernetes to a lot of the things that I'd already learned and patch that in my mind and make it easier for me to learn. So yeah, I I completely attribute it to the solid foundation that my initial uh, roles laid. And of course, I don't think uh, I would have been here had those, um, you know, foundational um, elements not being this strong. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, this is something that I've been kind of concerned about. I really wonder about people who are coming in like right now and they're learning Kubernetes or they're learning about cloud native stuff and they don't necessarily have that lower level background, yeah. you know, with like some of those Linux primitives, like storage and networking and things like that. Is is that something that you're kind of hearing about in the community? Do you think that's something that's going on? Yeah. And I think a lot of our, uh, you know, a lot of my fellow, um, con- I wouldn't call myself a content creator because I just blog. I cannot you know, for the <laughs> life of me. You, you just blog. <laughs> yeah, I just blog. Uh, but I can't for the life of... That's that's a lot more than a lot of us do. So. I can't for the life of me sit, uh, sit and, you know, um, 
uh, create a video and you know do all the stuff that a lot of y'all do and i completely appreciate your patience and your tolerance for the craft <laughs> i am really not that patient <laughs> but uh, i think that's a lot of the, uh, you know a lot of our fellow content creators are trying to address that uh, with the kind of content that they put out on the um, you know various platforms that they use for distribution but uh, i definitely do think that that's a major major concern with a lot of the newer folks trickling in because um it's like they want to get involved and it's in all good faith and it's in all enthusiasm that they want to and it just breaks my heart honestly when they say that you know i don't understand this and i'm like but you have to you can't go be- you can't go uh, beyond this point if you do not understand that particular thing i mean it's dependent on the foundation um foundational you know primitives that we were speaking about earlier so Yeah. I mean you have to understand that to understand Kubernetes. So that's that's something I think that a lot of folks like maybe Kunal Sayam uh Anais all of them are doing a wonderful job even Nana um I hope I got her name right but uh, all of those folks are doing a wonderful job at educating people and telling them that you know hey Kubernetes is not like a standalone uh tool and you know you need to know a lot more than just Kubernetes because it's an entire ecosystem built on top of another entire ecosystem it's not like a standalone you know island yeah that's a great way yeah. to put it it's a great way to put it I mean, a lot of us, um, you know, by the time I came to Kubernetes, I'd spent many years like working with Linux Absolutely. and been through some pretty hairy performance <laughs> troubleshooting situations and, and you know, networking too. And and I mean, I, I want to make it clear to folks that are listening, like if you are newer, we're not saying that you have to be an expert in all yep. of those things, right? And in fact, even back in the day before Kubernetes was around, most people tended to specialize, yeah. right? So I think there there were system administrators who were total generalists, but there were also people who would dive really deep into networking or security or something like yeah. that and maybe not be as strong in some of those other areas. So so to be really clear, I don't want to scare anyone off. We're not <laughs> telling anyone that you have to be an expert at everything. But I think that like having some... Some context, you know, for those fundamentals is like really important. Yeah, at least the basics. And that's, that's even when people come and ask me how to get started, I was like, see, these are the basics. You got to get them clear because uh, if not now, um, going ahead, you will need them. And then when you stumble upon them in some part of the documentation, you're going to, you know, have that aha moment and it will not be an aha moment at that time. It'll be like an oh shit moment. And I'm, I'm sorry for cursing because <laughs> it will be a little ocean movement because you know that you know that that was required and you just skipped it because you know it was too much work so getting the foundations right is a very very important thing before you embark on kubernetes or any like anything you start off with you have to have a solid foundation if you don't you're just basically setting yourself up for a lot of rework and a lot of trouble in the future. Uh, and I mean the problem is when you don't know something, you know, you don't know that you don't know it, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> it's it's that yeah. problem. But I, I really like, you know, um I've seen uh Kelsey talk about this, Kelsey yeah. Hightower about the fact that like one thing that's that's nice is that those 
those basic concepts are always going to be there, right? Like the tools change, but like there's always going to be storage. There's always going to be networking, you know, these, these things don't go away. And so, and so it's worth, it's worth investing some time into like learning those basics. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you mentioned some great content creators. Um, I'll, I'll link to them (laughs) in the show notes. Um, some of them are from India as you are. Um, it, it seems like there's a lot of people there in India who are really excited about cloud native and really hungry to learn about it. Yeah, I I think it's fairly um a new thing. I I won't say new in the sense that it's like one month or one day new, but maybe it's it's more um to do with the fact that open source in general is gaining a lot of traction in the subcontinent it's not just india but in the subcontinent i have seen a lot of interest coming up uh with respect to open source and uh, with respect to cloud native uh people are looking to get involved in open source and in the cloud native ecosystems and uh i i will you know not um diminish the importance of uh, Kubernetes by saying that, you know, people don't want to contribute to Kubernetes. People absolutely do. People want to learn about Kubernetes. Um, But it's also uh, like, hey, you know, how can I get involved in Kubernetes uh, as a project and, you know, contribute to it and learn about it? They want, you know, the trifecta. They don't want to just be doing one part of it. And I think that's also because, um, you know, a lot of the companies in India, um, they are onboarding these technologies. And of course, you know, a lot of the good work that, again, content creators are doing in terms of spreading this knowledge, because that's that's an important part of this whole, you know, um, a cycle right like the knowledge has to be out there it has to get out and reach the actual people it's targeted so they are doing a brilliant job of you know getting more people into the ecosystem and um you know infusing the fresh blood that's actually required um only problem is that that fresh blood needs to also you know be um well versed with everything so it's like a steep learning curve for them but I think that's very solvable with the kind of fantastic content that we have out there. So I don't think it's a, uh, you know, problem per se, but it's like a, what do you say? It's like the that very first step is like the largest step that you have to take in every journey, right? So they're, they're like trying to, <laughs> you know, cross that, you know, chasm, but I think it's okay. So, um, but the interest levels are really high, not just among college students, but among early uh, career folks and even people who have been traditionally working with, um, uh, you know, proprietary uh, products all their life. Like um, if, if a person with 20 plus years experience who's like a senior technical person is you know, coming and talking to me about Kubernetes and, you know, how they can get involved in the cloud native ecosystem. I think we're we're doing our job really well. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't know how someone new does this, yeah. right? Because like I had been working with Linux for like 20 years, you know, before Kubernetes even showed up. And, and I've found this whole cloud native world really intimidating at times, you know, with the, the amount of tools that there are, you know, just like looking at that landscape, (laughs) my eyes kind of glaze over, you know, and, and I honestly had a lot of imposter syndrome about it. And, 
And that's coming from somebody who already understood those basics, Absolutely. right? Let alone a brand new person who's trying to learn Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. I, I can't even explain to you, Rich, the um, amount of imposter syndrome I uh, feel while even, um, <laughs> you know, speaking at these various events, uh, even if it's like a, you know, uh, very, very mildly technical talk. I'm not even talking about like the deep dives or anything, but even mildly technical yeah. talks. I'm like, am I qualified enough to do this? Because, you know, I know <laughs> Linux. I know uh, stuff. I know a bit of Kubernetes. I think I know it. Uh, am I qualified enough to give this talk? So um, most of the times I'm like hit by these waves of imposter syndrome wherein I'm I'm like, okay, I might not be the best pe person in this you know, universe to talk about it, but I sure can get my perspective in. So I think I approach it from that perspective. I uh, That's how I've learned to calm my, you know, uh, calm that uh, bad voice in my head that says that I, don't deserve it. I'm like, everybody starts off somewhere <laughs> and you are getting in a new perspective. And that's how, you know, I try to calm myself down. But I definitely agree with you that it's like a little harder for folks starting out. And I think our community in general does a fantastic job of allowing for a safe space for these people to come in and ask questions by saying that, you know, we have a motto of there's no stupid questions. So that's that's one thing that I really, really appreciate about everyone I've spoken to, whether it's like really, really experienced folks who've been there right from the start or, uh, you know, even folks who've just joined. Uh, they, they have this like open uh, and transparent um, uh, vibe about them that basically, you know, they told me when I, when I started out in the community that there's really really no uh, stupid questions so please stop apologizing and you are where you deserve to be so just stop thinking that you know you don't so that that welcoming nature of the community is something I really appreciate and I really am grateful for because if it were not for that I a person like me would have never stuck so yeah well, it's it is a great community. I think it's the best open source community Absolutely. that I've been a part of by far. You know, and and like I said, I go a ways back. So there there have been a few. Um, I I do want to say that um, you uh, are qualified mm -hmm. to speak. <laughs> so next time next time you have that imposter syndrome, just remember, Rich said you're qualified. Okay. So um, yeah. And there's so much free content out there Absolutely. now. There's there's people, you know, like Siam and Kunal who are doing like whole courses yeah. on Kubernetes and the certifications and things that are they're just out there for free. It it's uh it's really amazing to me. Um that that people are so generous. Yeah, absolutely. Like um when I started out, had I had all this content, it would have been brilliant, <laughs> is what I'd like to preface this with. Uh I wouldn't have like you know, stumbled so many times, but I guess it's all for the good because I ended up learning a lot more. Uh, but for those who have this, please take advantage of it as all I, you know, advise because it's a lot of good content. It's not just Kunal and Sayam. Let's let's be really clear. Like they are they are my uh uh you know country people and friends and all of that. But I there are like several good uh good content creators. Anais is one of them. Uh, she's also a uh, fellow yep. ambassador. So maybe I should think up of new names. But <laughs> she's fantastic yeah. too. But um but no, it's a it's a great point. You know uh I um I'm 
hugely respect of both of those guys, but I respect her too. And, and there are a lot of other people uh, doing this stuff yeah. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, from those newer fo folks that you come into contact with, um, are there specific things that you hear about a lot that are kind of stumbling blocks for people like common sort of problems or questions that people have? I think a lot of it uh, essentially boils down to the very nature of open source. And I don't think they are to blame or the communities to blame in this regard, because a lot of them come from a background where it's um, necessary to give a uh, respect in the way you address people in the way you actually uh you know um i i wouldn't say subservient but it's it's like it's, the whole vibe is different when it comes to open source um you are required to show respect through action you are supposed to show respect uh, via the way you behave rather than you know address a person as sir ma'am or you know call them these uh, varied, um, you know, terms of respect. But uh, uh, apart from that, uh, what I've also seen is that because, again, because of the backgrounds that uh, they come from, which typically, again, require you to consider a person uh, who is senior in terms of years of experience and in terms of, uh, you know, the time that they've been there, even if it's not experience, even if it's the time that they've been there, there's like this um, automatic uh, godlike quality assigned to them. And that's something I believe uh, that goes away with time. But again, it takes a lot of getting used to because in a corporate setup or even in an academic setup in a lot of the countries around the world, you're supposed to give that respect. And without that, you probably would not, uh, you know, survive i wouldn't say survive because you'll obviously survive but uh you probably would not you know be a part of the crowd here this is what makes you stand apart and that is something that i really really uh you know want for the newer folks to understand and we do a great job of it by telling people please don't address us as sir or ma'am and please don't you know um feel intimidated to ask us questions because you've been told it's like a stupid question and please don't say sorry when you're asking questions because that's a really bad look uh, because there are no stupid questions everybody started out somewhere everybody started out you know not knowing everything so you're good you should ask questions but ask them in a respectful way ask them you know being consistent be considerate about the other person, you know, don't think it's like a cutthroat competition when, you know, you have to get this much done so that you are ahead of this contributor. There's no competition here. There's just, you know, community and <laughs> in a community when one person thrives, everyone thrives. So that's, that's the mentality you should look. There's no competition here. And I think that's, that's a lot of things to digest, but that's, that's, that's the thing that I've noticed that, you know, people behave as though they're in a corporate and in an academic setup. And that's completely different um, when you come to the open source world. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're saying that like as a as a cultural thing in India that that you think people are maybe less like more reticent to ask questions? No, or? it's just a lot of people who have approached me as well. They're very, um, it's not shy. It's I know that it's not shy. It's like they have this, you know, uh, they're like, oh my God, how do I actually ask this person a question? How do I, you know, 
talk to this person. I mean, I'm not a monster. I won't eat you. I de- definitely won't eat you because a I'm not a cannibal. Secondly, I'm a vegan, so I definitely cannot eat you. Uh, and even if I could, I wouldn't. So, so I mean, don't, don't, don't. And I'm sure you know all all the members of our community agree with me that you know we are not gonna. Uh, you know scold you or shout at you or be angry with you if you ask us questions yeah and that's that's a thing that i've seen across nationalities across um, you know gotcha uh, career levels it's not even newcomers who are like um, uh, fresh out of college or are in college it's just a general tendency that i've noticed among people because even if you're like a new entrant who's coming in from a corporate setup you're probably a mid level uh, engineer who wants to you know understand the project um they are extremely intimidated because this is like a new world for them and it's extremely intimidating for them to get started with it so uh, they're like how on earth do i ask people um here there are no official ways of addressing and if i just ping it'll sound rude so how do i go about doing this whole thing so i think that's that's one thing that i would advise when uh if i can call it advice <laughs> that uh please don't be intimidated uh when you ask questions when you address people just address them by their name don't call us sir or ma'am we are not sirs and ma'ams here unless uh, queen elizabeth wants to knight us uh in which case we uh you know we have a whole different discussion there but um unless you know we're not uh, we're not going to uh harm you or scold you or shout at you or make you yep. feel wrong about what you're doing so just ask questions yeah i'm yeah i think it's I think it's pretty common to kind of put people on a pedestal like that, though, especially when you're newer. Like when I think back to what things were like when I started out um, before before I was working with Linux, I it was a hobby for me. And and those people who were like the system administrators at the big universities or at the Internet providers or whatever, I I I was the same way. I, I thought. That was the coolest job. Absolutely. And I thought those people must be the smartest, coolest people to have that job. Um, so I totally get it. And and I mean, I I think I probably still do that to a certain extent, you know, with someone like Joe or Craig yeah. or people like that. I mean, it's it's easy to think, wow, these people are just geniuses and I like don't deserve to be in the same room with them or or to compare yourself to them and feel intimidated by the fact that they know so much more than you do but they invented kubernetes yeah. right so it's not very reasonable for me to assume that i'm going to ever know as much about kubernetes as they do yeah i mean again uh i i'm never going to say that i will know but we can always try and we all have our own strengths to bring to the table uh yeah. so i i i i you know, calm my imposter syndrome, like I said, by saying that, because otherwise it's just going to be difficult because all the people we meet in the open source community are hella talented. So I I don't think, you know, any single person uh, is less talented or more talented because we all, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. It's what we bring to the table that matters. That's a great way to look at it. 
Um, so we kind of jumped right into things, but usually I start off kind of asking about people's background a little bit. So <laughs> I kind of want to kind of want to back up. Um, how was it that you got involved in computing in the first place? Oh, uh, that's a very that's a very straightforward answer, actually. <laughs> so I was an electronics engineering graduate. I had no plans of being in the IT industry, <laughs> but uh, I think I attempted a ton of um, exams so that I could actually, uh, you know, get into the public sector for electronics, uh, electronic companies in India. Didn't get through. So I was like, uh, I'll give a shot. <laughs> I'll give IT a shot, uh, really. And here I am. <laughs> that's that's how I got <laughs> into IT. Uh, because uh, campus placements are a thing. So um, for a lot of people, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with the way the uh, Indian um, engineering system works in general. So we have a lot of exams that help you get into, um, you know, further universities that help with masters and stuff. And you also have, um, uh, if you're like from a core engineering field, like say electrical, mechanical, civil or stuff like that, you have exams uh, to get into core engineering companies as well within the public sector. So um, if you don't clear them, then it's a bit of a problem because you don't get to work in the field that you've graduated in. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, IT was the actual last option that I had and I am glad I landed up here because I um, you know I am doing so much more than I would if I were just an electronics engineering graduate so yeah <laughs> how did you um how did you get specifically into the cloud native stuff oh um so that's actually a lot uh, I mean I thank HSBC for you know having uh, Kubernetes onboarded into our team so <laughs> that's that's the only thing that I wanted to understand more about so I've worked on proprietary systems all of my life uh, to be really honest I have not worked on many open source uh, uh, projects I in this context of my work I've not utilized many open source projects in um, you know my day-to-day -day job so what I did was I was like, um, I used to work and then they're like, Kubernetes is there. So then the first thing I actually did is I was like, what the hell is Kubernetes? <laughs> Why is it, you know, that every time I change a job, there's like, uh, or get a job, I'm like, there's, there's 10 things that are just floating around. First time it was like cloud. And then the second time I'm like, oh God, what is Kubernetes now? And then I Googled and... I was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff here. And then I discovered that it was open source. Then I learned about open source. And uh, I knew that there was something called as open source, which means that, you know, it was free. In my head, it was just like, it's free software. And I've, I've after that, I've refined my definition of open source, of, of course. <laughs> but in my head, when I started out with like um, researching about Kubernetes, um it's like oh this is free <laughs> that is that is the first thing that went into my head and i was like okay so if it's free that it that means it's being done by like voluntary contributors because somebody would i mean if it were not free then it would be basically done by people who are a part of the company right so yeah, yeah so that's how i got into um open source and cloud native and um then you know obviously i refined my understanding a lot more uh after 
that whole initial phase of thinking that open source is equal to free for i think that was for around 2 months and uh, <laughs> i think after that i i read a lot of stuff about licenses and stuff yeah and uh, i was like okay that it's not a, it's not all about being free <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot more that goes behind the scenes so yeah yeah, I think I think for most companies, Kubernetes isn't free. I think that, yeah, okay, they have a pretty big budget behind yes, uh, big implementing budget. and maintaining Kubernetes. Yes, um, but but um, yeah, I mean, I think that that was a big part of my um, like initial kind of entry into Linux too, right? Is that this was like a thing that I could just install on my computer for free, and yeah. I didn't have to pay anyone or. I could just download some images and and be off to the races. Yeah. Um. So you work uh, a lot with documentation, and yep. um, I I understand that you are doing documentation for Rancher <laughs> and Kubernetes and also Litmus Chaos. That yes. you're you're just basically doing all the documentation. Yeah. So I I was joking with. Um, Savita, who's one of my, uh, who's one of the people I've met uh, via the community, and I also gave a talk with her, two talks yeah. with her at uh, Spain, uh, at the Spanish KubeCon, uh, which sounds yes, really Yes, I met her to briefly see. too, I think. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was telling her, it's like, I am, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to steal Celeste Thunder here. I'm not a docs influencer. I can barely, you know, give a talk about docs. But uh, I'm like, I, I, it's like dogs find me wherever I go. <laughs> Nowadays, it's just like I'm, I'm going to a project. I'm like, can you improve our dogs? And uh, I'm like, I want to help you improve your dogs. It's, it's like now, uh, um, it's now I actively search out projects and see how their documentation looks like. So now my first focus, whenever I look at a project is like, like how good is your doc? Let me see this. <laughs> and uh, then the, if anybody asks me for feedback, I was like, your docs are not right. <laughs> like, is that the only feedback you have? So I was like, no, I've not tried your project out, but uh, that's like the first thing that you have to have, you know, uh, pat down properly because it's... yeah. It's an essential. I know that a lot of people are going to tell me that, you know, it's just technical writing. It's just writing. How hard can it be? Um, <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> uh, and I'm not even, uh, you know, saying that because it's a thing that I do day in and day out. Um, but it's really hard um, because there's a lot of context to be sought out when you write a documentation. and. Yeah. Even if it's just updating it, it's a lot of effort. So um, it's it's very difficult to have um, and maintain good documentation for a project, irrespective of however, um, you know, the project is licensed. Even if you're like a proprietary product, uh, like the ones I used at my day job in HSBC and uh, the previous company, iGate, which is now acquired by Capgemini, a lot of the projects require good documentation at the end of the day. You can't have a project without documentation because your users won't know how to use the product. Um, you cannot have your salespeople and your dev folks constantly assisting the user or even, you know, your um, DevRel constantly on a phone saying, okay, this is your problem. Let me find you the solution. You cannot be, you know, customer support the entire time. So you need to have good docs and that's just a basic and I think uh, 
going through a lot of bad documentation in the initial stages of my career set me up for this job uh because <laughs> i i i was i was so tired of having um having to read a lot of troubleshooting documentation before getting to that one actual step that would solve an issue during uh, an outage call i i think that's that's what prompted me i was like i need to write good docs that is my life's calling <laughs> so yeah one thing that that used to frustrate me so much uh and this is a long time ago this is not the new microsoft i'm talking about but um but in the old days it was very much uh the situation that there was that registry edit you had to do yeah. to make the thing work and it yeah. wasn't in the documentation and you no. learned about it from some forum somewhere and, yes and and that sort of thing was just so it just drove me nuts that there were like these common practices that people who knew what they were doing did that just weren't even in the documentation at all yeah those those little tips and tricks right uh, that that's that's essential across a project i mean if whether it's licensed you know for a uh, under a company or whether it's licensed uh, as open source under the various open source licenses it's absolutely necessary to have those little tips and tricks because if you end up having a project or a product that basically is just going to tell you how to install it what about the 10000 steps that happen after the installation like what is what is it about day 2 that you're not going to address anything of that because day 2 is important right like when you use a product you're eventually going to run into problems at some point in your life so what about those times you're just going to tell me how to install a project and leave it at it and i am going to be stuck and then i'll have to call your you know in the case of open source project i don't projects i don't even know who to call at this point like <laughs> if if you know you're a proprietary um, you know service provider then uh, you're going to have like people just calling up your um, customer service executives at odd hours of the day and god forbid if uh, you know they don't have a 24/7 support on call or whatever you you're just going to be stuck so have good documentation and um that's that's like a call to action for everyone who probably listens please write good documentation it'll help I'm, I'm so many sure, people <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure none of the open source maintainers that i know want to be getting phone calls from users so yeah. <laughs> i hope they're writing good docs um yes. i'm curious you mentioned that you you used to run into a lot of problems um um and you kind of learn from the bad documentation that you saw and i the the day 2 thing is interesting to me because i tend to focus a lot on the day 1 right yeah. like i think those quick start docs and things like that really need to be um just spot on right or you're going to lose people right away yeah. but um but i'm wondering if there are other if there are other kind of common mistakes that you you've seen with documentation um so one of the things that i see when you know a project typically writes our documentation is that they don't keep the end user in mind uh, the way they should so a person who's coming new to your project is not going to be familiar with all the terms and you know all the whole ecosystem that your project has built on maybe they are maybe they are not you you can't assume a lot of people just start off um at level 50 when they should be starting off at level 0 uh they assume that you know people know what 
um, a particular framework is upon which this project is built and uh, provide no links provide no context and it's like if, if it's not even quick start let's not even go to the quick start bit the first overview page of any documentation um should have at least a basic context of um what the project is built upon what um framework it uses link it to those particular things and don't use a lot of technical jargon i know that it sounds fancy it sounds like you know a lot of things but no you're not trying to prove it to anyone uh that you know a lot bet lot more than them the document so i say this uh in all you know niceness that the documentation is your first marketing um you know pitch i wouldn't say pitch but uh it's it's the first marketing piece that you put out to your consumers irrespective of the project so if your documentation is good if you know your user can install the document uh, you know the project or the product mm-hmm. from your documentation and understand you know the terminologies that are there then i think you are setting yourself up for success but a lot of projects don't do that they start off at level 50 like i said have like a bunch of technical jargon on their very first uh, overview page i'm not even going to go to quick start at this point but overview page itself has like um this is based on xyz framework but what is xyz framework am i supposed to know what is xyz framework um if i'm a user newly stumbling upon this product what are the dependencies that i need to know of none of that is specified but i think those need to be really really clear and outright so link that link and talk about those uh, maybe not in detail but at least you know have a one liner or hyperlink it to the official documentation sure sure yeah so yeah i think th- that um Yeah, acronyms too. Like the first time you use an acronym, like actually say what it means. Yeah. Yes, I mean I've I've had so many, so many of them. Um, I've encountered so many of them when I used to work in, um, uh, you know, my previous jobs. I'm like, how how am I supposed to figure out what the acronym means? And it'll be like some very complex problem. And I used to work with HSBC and. it'll be like payments stuck payments are stuck and i'm supposed to figure out the meaning of this acronym how am i supposed to figure out the meaning of this acronym without googling just have a link for god's sake so <laughs> it's like i'm i'm tired i'm trying to figure out the root cause of this issue and you're telling me i have to figure out um an acronym to figure out the root cause of this issue then i got to stack yeah. overflow then i figure out what this is then come back then then there'll be a second acronym somewhere after like two three lines <laughs> i'm like no please please no so <laughs> that, yeah that... i've been in that i've been in that situation where you're dealing with a really big incident and you just just need to get the answers yeah um what's it been like working on the kubernetes documentation oh uh it's been wonderful uh i wouldn't um you know say any less um uh, about it because it's i've gotten to interact with so many people uh and i think it's the people that make the project people who make the project so wonderful so i've i've gotten to learn a lot more than i signed up for and i didn't sign up for a lot so i basically just wanted to understand why uh, what open source was and what what 
you know what went into the rationale behind releases and stuff like that yeah and dogs has taught me a whole lot more than i signed up for like i now um, so tim uh, i think celeste mentioned this in her episode um that uh, tim is one of those people who like throws away um nuggets of documentation wisdom like free candy and he actually done you know he actually got started because he was learning uh, for a cka or one of the uh, certification exams oh i remember this yeah yes. yeah so let's mention that that really clever thing he did where he actually put stuff that he needed for the exam into the yeah. kubernetes docs because he was allowed to use the docs as part of the exam yeah and i think it's a really cool way to learn because i i never thought of it that way to be honest and um i i i i don't know if you were there at the kubernetes contributor summit uh, i don't know oh remember. i was not no yeah but uh, basically i was i was i was eating the whole time so i was not participating in <laughs> one of the quizzes so uh, tim's team won like mm-hmm. uh, i was like there were a bunch of other teams and they were all veterans so it was like a whole room of veterans there and i was like um artem was sitting with us and a bunch of um, you know newcomers to the project and we were like oh uh, there were questions being shown and they won i mean obviously there was just one winner but uh, they won the whole thing like if it was a team effort it was like this team that had won so i'm like that's a very cool way to go about learning and uh, i learn a lot from him uh, to be very honest i don't understand a lot of the processes and most of the times he is he's correcting me and i'm so glad that he does that because i learn a lot because of that corrections that he tells me that you know you're going i think you you know you need to change this your i think you need to do this you know this particular way and he he makes it so welcoming uh, in the sense that he doesn't uh, sound like you know an irritated person who's trying to you know tell me oh god you know you should do this you should do that he's like i think this is the way it goes your uh, maybe you know you what do you think he he always asks for your opinion and that's one thing that i've learned <laughs> like you should ask for people's opinion what do you think about these changes are you cool with them uh, how do you see this whole thing so it's a lot of you know all these cultural changes within me that i've learned but i i also learn a lot technically so it's not all you know uh you know soft skills and stuff like that but i've learned so much uh from you know all these conversations that i've been having because of the release so i i used to shadow on the release team as well so uh, i've i've learned so much from that experience because um in the release you typically have more um, you know uh, technical stakeholders from the various sigs contributing to that release so talking with them in itself is like a huge huge uh, you know knowledge exchange so more from their side obviously <laughs> but it's a huge knowledge exchange and i think i've learned a lot from that process but sig talks in particular i think i learn a lot from all my co-chairs and from you know all the tech leads and even from the contributors themselves because several of them are experienced contributors and 
they know far more than I ever will. And I take it as a learning <laughs> journey. So, yeah. I've mentioned this a lot. If people follow me on Twitter that I'm, I'm a big fan of the release team. I think that that's, yeah. that's an area where like people tend not to get credit. You know, it's one of those things where you don't notice it when it's going really well, but you do what is broken. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think docs, docs are similar. Right. I think this is changing some, you know, but that there's still a lot of focus on code contributions, you know, yeah, as opposed yeah, to yeah. like, you know, um, like docs or, or something like that. I actually had this kind of funny thing happen recently where, you know, you mentioned the contributor summit and yeah. um, I would not have gone to that because I didn't consider myself a contributor because I'd but never had a, I'd never had a PR merged. And I just recently had my first PR merged. It, it was a simple little thing, but, um, but I had other people react the same way, you know, and say I was already contributing and, and that's, what I think I would tell someone else too, but yeah. I just didn't feel that way about myself. It's such a weird thing, but no, um, but you are a contributor. It is so I don't think we make that distinction. Uh, like anybody else makes that distinction. It's, I think we ourselves are very hard personally, uh, you know, when we come to <laughs> evaluating our. Uh, you know, our contributions or our, you know, level of contributions to the community. Yeah. I don't think we should be doing that. But um, I would also like to quote him here because this is what he told me when <laughs> I told him that I, I, I don't feel qualified enough to be, you know, a co-chair. Like nobody can talk you out of um, an imposter syndrome but yourself. You have to do that hard work you have to take out that um fear that fear and that feeling of unworthiness because you're worthy and everybody else can see that you bring a lot to the table everybody else can see that so accept things for what they are so that's that's paraphrasing his advice but uh yeah. he told me that you know the only person who can actually um you know remove any feelings of imposter syndrome from your head is you you, you can't expect anyone else to do that. Yeah. I'm definitely one of those people who's a lot harder on myself than I am <laughs> on other people. Like I, I, uh, I'm definitely a lot kinder to other folks than, um, than I am to, to me. So I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> so besides, um, besides Kubernetes, you know, you, you work on the Rancher docs, um, you work on the docs for litmus chaos. Or are you still doing that? Uh, yeah, so I do that on a, um, you know, uh, requirement basis. So I used to be very actively involved at the start. Uh, but uh, then, you know, the requirement for me to get involved was purely, uh, you know, more relevant in a qualitative and a style, style, style related uh, way. Because a lot of the... Um, uh, you know, I, it got acquired. So Litmus Chaos's parent company uh, got acquired by Harness. And then we had, a, you know, whole... Before that, we had a bunch of releases, which I helped with. But uh, over that period, I think um, my involvement has been lesser. But I'm still there, like, uh, for any, yeah. you know, help or any sign-offs or any approvals on the styling. or no, Styling, in a sense, I mean the document styles and the way, you know, your message is conveyed within the docs. For those stuff, I'm there. 
But from a more technical perspectives, I think I'm a little more hands off right now. So gotcha. not that much of an involvement at this point. I didn't realize it had been acquired by Harness. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I uh, I worked at a chaos engineering vendor before, so that's oh. that's a subject I'm really interested in. Um. Do you uh, like what have you what did you experience in terms of people? like doing chaos engineering with Kubernetes? Do you think that that's something that provides a lot of value for people? Absolutely. So I, um, in my previous jobs, like I said, I used to work on a lot of production calls. And eventually everything is just going to move to, I'm assuming everything's just going to move to Kubernetes. Eventually, maybe not in the next five years, maybe not in the next 10 years, but eventually. Um so I think it's a value. Like chaos engineering as a discipline is of value. Um, in Kubernetes, even more so because the inherent distributed nature of Kubernetes makes it more, um, you know, prone to uh, all these, even with all the observability and even with all the um, newer disciplines cropping up, it makes it more prone to um, all these undetectable failures. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call them failures, but it's difficult to detect in a, a distributed system where the actual point of failure lies and how to, and if it's like an, uh, if it's like a crisis call where you're actually figuring out where the failure is during the crisis call, then, you know, you're sort of, uh, setting yourself up for a lot of pain. Uh, it's kind of too late by that point, system. right? Yeah. <laughs> so chaos engineering holds value in distributed systems, in my opinion, because of this whole concept of, uh, you know, monitoring and observability will continue to evolve, no doubt about that. But it's always good to be prepared. In fact, it's good to be over-prepared, I would say, uh, if you ask uh, me. But it's always good to be at least prepared and, you know, understand where those, uh, you know, potential failure points could lie. Even if you don't have an exact, um, even if you don't have an entire listing, rather, if you, even if you have like a broad idea, and I'm sure, you know, the tools that are out there in the market are more, you know, getting more sophisticated day by day, um, and they will continue to. Um, those uh, tools would give you that brief idea. And that is, I think, a good starting point. You can evolve from there. You can even, you know, um, uh, simulate your own chaos, but I would not recommend that because then it would just probably be more chaos than chaos engineering. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, if yeah. there are listeners who aren't familiar with chaos engineering, basically the idea is that you're, injecting faults into the system intentionally to to see that you know how it behaves you know yeah um not sort of taking it for granted that the system is going to work the way that you think it will or that you you know that the diagram you drew out you know yeah. is actually going to be how things behave yeah, and you don't go cowboy on production, by the way. Uh, you don't start implementing <laughs> right on production, please. That's also one caveat that I would like to sort of add there. You don't start off like breaking things in production. Nobody yeah, should absolutely. do that. That is madness. That is chaos. That is literal chaos. Don't do that. But uh, yeah, I think as an as an as a discipline, I think it would it would be you know evolving. 
in yeah. you know uh, more so and it would be more sophisticated the tools that would come out would be more sophisticated they are already pretty sophisticated given you know the relative nascency of this whole discipline um uh it's not that old <laughs> yeah so, yeah 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 i mean people like netflix and amazon have been you know playing with these ideas for a long time but but for most of the market you know it, it yeah. is you know relatively new just a few years now yeah. Um, so I guess some of the rules that we are learning today. So, so no cannibalism. Um, yes. <laughs> you don't eat people. Yes. And you don't go cowboy in production. Yes. So, so good things for everyone to keep in mind. I think. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So, so you are also a CNCF ambassador, yeah. which is very cool. Yeah. And I wondered if you could talk about that, like for people who aren't familiar with the ambassador program, kind of how it works, how you got into it, um, all of that. Yeah. So uh, this is like a frequent, uh, you know, question on the CNCF Slack on any of the public channels that are there, uh, especially the um, hashtag ambassador public channel. And even <laughs> Uh, hallway and uh, random and uh, before general I don't remember if general was ever open to the public but if it was I used to say how do I become ambassador and uh, it's as simple as you actually apply for it <laughs> you mm -hmm. think yourself worthy you apply for it and that's what I did um, you can of course nominate like uh, existing ambassadors can of course nominate themselves for um, uh, can sorry not nominate themselves nominate others into the uh, ambassador program uh, but it's largely a self-nominated effort which is how at least I got in and a bunch of folks who I know also got in and uh, there um there are a, I wouldn't call these perks but they are perks uh, so uh, there are a lot of perks of being a CNCF ambassador, which um, are more, rel uh, you know, relevant in the large, uh, you know, in the context of a larger ecosystem. So you are not just talking to people who are working on Kubernetes. You are work, you are talking to a lot of folks who are working on other projects. So you understand a lot of stuff that's going on and uh, you are connected to those people um, and you can ask them questions and bug them so that's that's one benefit and the other benefit is uh, you get to hang out with these folks in person if you ever come to KubeCon which is what I discovered in Spain Valencia <laughs> so, so those, those sound so, like both sound like pretty good perks yes and um, you know was uh, CNCF does a fantastic job, to be really honest, of, uh, you know, um, having uh, of having having to wait through all these uh, ambassador, uh, you know, nominations every um, couple of months because a large number of people apply and uh, it's it's with good reason because, you know, that that tag means a lot because it's it's also a lot of responsibility. So this is not the only thing we do. We also do a bunch of things like you know promoting cloud native um, in uh, you know various areas, whether it be by blogging, whether it be by speaking at events, whether it be by generally posting educational content. Uh, there are a lot of ways you impact um, people's view of cloud native and the general 
you know, open source cloud native ecosystem. So you got to do the work, not saying no, but it's also a lot of fun. So CNCF does a fantastic job because I'm very sure it receives a lot of applications and to continuously vet through them and uh, go through uh, and, you know, select them basis the uh, contributions they've made is a very tough job, I'm sure. So I'm not even going to, you know, com comment on that aspect of it. Uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, uh, you if if you are desirous of getting to this program, uh, you just need to apply. Um, and with all the you know contributions or everything that you have done within the cloud native ecosystem, and yeah. these folks vet it on an every uh, on a monthly or on a quarterly basis, as far as I'm aware. So um, if if you feel like you know you have even more accomplishments to add in that short time frame. You can resubmit it, um, but most of the time, I think, um, you know, it's not required because they, like, everyone in Cloud Native knows everybody else is what I have <laughs> realized right now. It's like same uh, same team, different companies, like the motto of Cloud Native more than anything else. So, uh, you know, we, we know each other. So, if you're here, we know you're here. So... You know, it, it, it obviously comes to light if you are doing fantastic work. So I never thought it necessary to reapply, but um, yeah. yeah, that's that's the gist, I guess. I'll, uh, I'll find that application and put a link to it in the show notes. I've seen yeah. that before, I know, but um, just in case any of the listeners are, are interested in looking into that. Um, so you did, uh, you did do one talk that I saw in Valencia. It sounds like yeah. you maybe did a couple. Yeah, I actually had three talks. So three, yes. I, Divya, I can't. I can't get a talk accepted at all, and you're doing three. That's yeah, amazing. So, yes, I did one. Uh, so one was at a co-located event, so I'm not sure it counts. Uh, oh, so gotcha. One, yeah, so one was for Cloud Native Wasm Day, um, and uh, it was about. Um, the binary and textual format for WebAssembly, that was one. And the other one was Burnout, um, uh, with, which I did with uh, Savita. And the third one was the one you attended, which was with Sayam, Kunal, and Savita, uh, which was about navigating the CNCF landscape uh, the right way. So those were the three. So I, I, I did see that third one. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I will um, make sure to link to that in the show notes. I think that um, if there are people who are listening, especially that are new to to this stuff, um, I think you all did a, a really good job of covering a lot of the topics that people yeah. might not understand. Literally, like looking at the landscape, the landscape right? At, yeah. that, at that image and like, what do all these icons mean? And what does it yeah. mean? You know, the, the way things are grouped and um, yeah. even went into things like, you know, what's a tag and what's a SIG yeah. and, and all this stuff. And again, we were talking earlier about all the acronyms yeah. and, and like there are a lot of them even just with the CNCF, right? <laughs> Landscape, yes. Yeah. It would be re really confusing if somebody were to just like look at it and like what on earth is this landscape for? <laughs> <laughs> and it's growing. Like it's not even like it's a stagnant uh, 
or a static image it just keeps on growing uh, so it's even more relevant in the current context that you know you be aware of how to actually navigate the entire landscape and how to make it work for you rather than uh, you know you just getting lost in that whole scheme of things and not being able to figure it out so we've tried yeah. making it as beginner friendly as possible and i have to give a shout out to uh, matty stratton's talk as well because i enjoyed it personally he also did a similar talk but it was from an educational perspective he did it in a student's track itself but um, i really enjoyed his talk as well so that's a big shout out to him and uh, whitney so his co speaker was whitney and they both did a fantastic job i really enjoyed their presentation on the same topic but it was from a different perspective and it was very educational and really really would you know complement our talk uh, rather than you know i didn't see it as competition because i was like oh my god this is like a perspective i never thought of so awesome. both our talks uh, go well together or you can choose pick and choose also that's also okay I didn't um I didn't see Maddie's talk but he's uh one of my favorite people so I will link to both of those in the show notes yeah. so that people can have a chance to watch them. Absolutely. Um I you know I think of myself as a little bit of a veteran of this stuff and I I still learned some things from your talk like there were some things about you know the the landscape that I didn't know. <laughs> um so um what kinds of things um do you think that people maybe don't understand about how the CNCF works? Like, are there things, questions you hear people asking a lot? Oh, I think a lot of questions center around uh, the, you know, existence of the foundation in the very first place. Like, uh, why, why is there a foundation? Like, can't yeah. Kubernetes just exist on its own? Like, that's a question I've, I've, I've heard people say, what is the CNCF? So when um, I think a colleague of mine actually got certified and uh, I, I think it was in 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2019. Yeah. So a colleague of mine got certified in um, the uh, one of the Kubernetes certifications. I think it was CKA, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. So he got certified and he's like, um, what is the CNCF? I was like, uh, that's uh, that's actually you know the home of you know the <laughs> Kubernetes project. Oh, but why is it there? I was like, uh, it's there <laughs> because you know it's it's housing uh, a lot of vendor neutral open source projects, um, and it's basically you know building out an open source vendor neutral platform for the cloud native ecosystem which is a different way of actually you know building and deploying applications so that's that's why it exists so then he had like a lot of further questions around <laughs> that particular so i was like you just gave the ck though so shouldn't you know <laughs> that's really funny yeah yeah i i i can understand that though and i think that like um Probably again, people who've been around longer maybe take it for granted that everybody knows what the CNCF is yeah. and, and what it does. Um, yeah. Um, well, Divya, we have been uh, talking for a while. I think I probably need to wrap things up. Um, <laughs> I really have enjoyed getting to chat with you. Um, I'll definitely put some links in the show notes to the things that we talked about. And also, 
um, to your uh, Twitter account. Um, what what is your Twitter account again? It's Divya underscore Mohan zero two. Okay, um, I I will link to that for sure. I do follow you, so I know I could find it. But, um, is there anything else you'd like to mention that you're working on, or anything you want to let people know about? Oh, um, so I uh, I work on a lot of things. So probably uh, you know, like two minutes of the last, <laughs> I mean, last segment might not suffice. But uh, if I constantly post on Twitter and. Uh, uh linkedin about all of those things that i work on and if any of that is of interest to you please feel free to reach out uh like i said at the start i don't eat people for lunch dinner or breakfast not a cannibal so please 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 uh you know feel free to reach out i won't shout and uh see my voice is also sweet i don't shout uh i mm-hmm. just screech so. I'm starting to I'm starting to wonder about the cannibalism though because you keep bringing it up and now I'm wondering <laughs> if you really are a cannibal and you just keep saying yeah, it. Yeah, no, to, no, to I, I barely could get by. I could I could barely get by in Valencia. Um, I survived on potatoes, so. Um. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there was a lot of meat to eat in Valencia, wasn't there? Um, yeah. All right. Uh, well, Divya, this has really been fun. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Rich, and hope you have a fantastic day. Cube Cuddle was created and hosted by me, Rich Burroughs. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider telling a friend. It helps a lot. Big thanks to Emily Griffin, who designed the logo. You can find her at daybrighton.com. And thanks to Mon Placer for our music. You can find more of his work at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Thanks a lot for listening. 